Amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning. If you're just joining us, as you know, we're um, we're in a series called Seek First the Kingdom. This is our fourth uh, Sunday in this series, and we're continuing in that. And um, and so that's where we will be this morning. Last week, Steve uh, Steve shared on the tension that we are living in, and we do have this tension being in the kingdom of God, a tension that the kingdom has come, the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is still something that's coming in the future. And so I'm going to continue talking about that tension that we face today as we live. So this morning, um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, you can open to Proverbs, but these two verses will also be on the screen. And I, what I want to do, you know, in this series, a lot of what we're doing, we're trying to build something and trying to go somewhere together in our understanding of the kingdom of God. And then also, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? And so as we do that today, just to give you a little bit heads up, there is a, a little bit of teaching that I will be doing. My hope is to help us to understand biblically what the kingdom of God is. And so bear with me as we do that. Um, but I want to start by reading two verses out of Proverbs. And I'll read these two verses and I'll pray for us. And then after that, we will jump in into this, uh, this message this morning. The first verse is Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And the second verse is Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, or the people perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to read the scriptures, to worship, to pray, to be in fellowship with one another. God, thank you that we are one body, Lord, and that you, when we gather together, you pour out your spirit upon us and you strengthen us and encourage us together. Lord, as we Look at the kingdom of God this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, to see this kingdom that's coming. And even as this verse in Proverbs says that we would have vision instead of being without prophetic vision, we would have vision of the things to come and the kingdom that is coming. Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to the scriptures to, to understand your heart and understand how you have called us to live today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a little bit different. I don't know if you uh, have heard a, a sermon started with two verses like what I just read. But the reason I like these two verses is because I feel like these two verses in Proverbs give a broad, overarching view of how we can approach life as Christians. I'm going to read them one more time for us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. As Christians, we are people that have hope. And that's what we are going to be discussing today in relation to the kingdom of God. We are people that have hope. And the proverb is saying hope deferred makes the heart sick. In fact, that's very similar to what Steve preached on last week when John's disciples came and asked Jesus, are you really the one or is there another one that's coming that we should expect? 
Steve was suggesting that maybe John was experiencing this sense of doubt in his faith. And another way to describe that language is maybe he was feeling the hope deferred and feeling a sickness in his heart because what he was expecting, which, as Steve talked about, was a king, not just a ethereal, you know, random king, but a literal king of a kingdom. That's what John would have been expecting. But he was not seeing that in Jesus. Jesus didn't have much to do with politics. In fact, he said things like, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's, right? He was not in the position to deliver Israel from Roman oppression. That was very clear. And so John, in that moment, Steve called it, he probably experienced something like a great letdown. And he was experiencing this doubt. Is this really the one? And I I like this verse in Proverbs because it summarized that. He's feeling this, wait, I had hope, but that it might not be coming yet. That hope that I had in a king and in the kingdom, maybe it's not yet. And he felt that sickness. It's still something that's coming. But then the inverse is also true. When that hope is fulfilled, the proverb says, it's a tree of life. And then the other verse that I read was, with lack of vision, the people perish. Or without prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And as believers, and not just believers, but as humans, we have this desire, or I would say, all of us, but I know I do. So I'll speak for myself here. I have this tendency that I, I need to know what I'm working towards and able, in order to thrive in life. I need to have my goals clear. I need to have my purpose clear so that I know where I'm going, right? And that's true for today. That's true for this week. But usually I'm a little extreme. I'm thinking I want to know the next five years, right? I want to look for the next five years so that I know. And that's a natural way that we see this proverb becoming true. Without vision, the people perish. So the inverse, with vision, the people will flourish. Without vision, the people will perish, which means that opposite of that is true as well. When the people have vision, they will flourish. And that that is naturally true. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, we try to create for ourselves goals. We try to create for ourselves a vision, something to pursue and work towards. One of the most clear ways that I see this in our world today is uh, probably an, a more recent career choice uh, called life coaching. I don't know if you've heard of life coaching. I have a life coach myself. And it's something that I think probably when it started sounded kind of funny, but what we realized was it, we know that setting goals for ourselves and trying to Pursue something is the, pursue something is the best thing to do, but it's difficult to do that. So what life coaches do, you sit with a life coach and you lay out everything you're trying to do and they help you to prioritize those goals and they help you to create steps in order to obtain those goals. Right? So this passage is saying, without vision, the people perish, which means with vision, the people flourish. And the same is true for us as Christians. Many times we wonder why we can't live a godly lifestyle or what, how we are supposed to live. And the answer, and what I'm suggesting to you this morning, the answer comes when we look and understand first where we're going. When we understand first where we're going, which is the kingdom of God, then we can know how to rightly live today. So in order to do that this morning, what I want to do, I want to, I want to first talk about the kingdom of God. 
in order to know how to seek first the kingdom, which is what our series is about, we need to have some sort of understanding and, and definition of the kingdom. And we have talked about that, but I want to define it a little bit further for us. And then second, I want us to look at what Jesus gives us as why we're seeking the kingdom. So first it's what. What are we seeking? What is this kingdom? And then the second is why does Jesus say we are to seek this kingdom? So when it comes to the kingdom of God, the, we all have probably differing understandings. That's a common phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Are you guys with me this morning? Everybody here? Yeah. Hallelujah. All right, we have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. If you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any amounts of time, you've either heard that and most likely you have said that phrase. And a lot of times we have differing ideas of what that means. I think growing up in Sunday school, just my own experience, I pretty much thought that I would die, I would become an angel, I'd get a halo and a harp, and I'd float on a cloud, right? That was that was kind of the image, and that's nothing against my Sunday school teachers, they were awesome, but that was that was just the idea for whatever reason that was propagated in church. And I think a lot of times that is what we think, because we're not frequently taught about this subject, and it's not talked about very often. So we think, you know, what's the afterlife? Well, I'll probably die and I'll get a harp, I'll float on a cloud, and we'll see what happens, right? But I don't know that that's what the Bible teaches. I don't know that there's any biblical reference that can prove that that's what happens, right? So what I want to do, I want to give us three things that the kingdom is not. And then on the flip side, I want to give us three things that I think the kingdom of God is. So the thing that the kingdom of God is not first it's what I just said. It's not after we die, we become angels, we get harps, and we play sweet little music on clouds and float around Jesus. That is what the kingdom of God is not. There is no biblical evidence that us as humans, after we die, we turn into angels. Nowhere is that stated. And that obviously is a lot of times thought and maybe believed, unfortunately, but there's no, no evidence that that's what happens. The second thing that the kingdom of God is not it's not some ethereal uh, reality, right? When we say kingdom of God, we like to think of the church. That's somewhat true, but it's not completely true. The kingdom of God is the church, the people of God, that is. They are the people of the kingdom. But that's only partially true. You know, there is a more concrete definition that is important to understand instead of this ethereal reality of the kingdom of God. You know, when people get saved, we like to say, great, now you're a part of the kingdom of God. The unbeliever who just got saved says, what? Like, they have no idea what we're talking about with our Christianese. You know, because they're thinking, well, I don't, I didn't know, first off, I didn't know there was a kingdom. Second of all, what does that mean? Is that, am I in a monarchy now? Is this a new country? Right? Like, really boil it down to the language we're using. They have no context. They have no grid to understand what that means. And then, so it's not this ethereal, random reality that we just can't describe. But the third thing that it's also not is it's not ceasing to exist or, excuse me, extinction, right? That's what the world thinks is the afterlife. After we die is extinction, extinction, excuse me. And Stephen Hawking, one of the famous scientists, English scientists of our time, died in 2018. That was, that was what he believed. And that was something he propagated that af there is no afterlife. After we die, we cease to exist the end. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians even think that. 
They've moved on from the angels and the harps and the clouds, and they think, well, maybe there is just no afterlife. Maybe there is no heaven, and maybe there is no hell. But that's also not what the Bible teaches. Now, let's focus just for a moment on this idea of extinction. Because I think that most of the world, knowingly or unknowingly, they believe this to be true. When you believe that after you die, nothing happens, you have to ask the question, how then does that lead you to live? After you die, if nothing happens, if you cease to exist, how does that motivate you to live today? Well, look out your front door. Look at the world. If nothing happens after you live, when, it, when the question pops in your mind, should I, should I have this affair or no? Well, why not, right? If nothing, there's no reason for your existence, why not have an affair? Uh, should I go to the store and steal something? I mean, why not? There's no reason not to. You're here for a short amount of time and then you cease to exist. There's no If extinction is true, there is no definition of right and of wrong. And this is the way that the world lives. One example that I recently read in in a book by John Mark Comer yesterday, actually, he was talking about this story with a a guy named Woody Allen. And I don't want to go in depth into this story because it's kind of disturbing. But Woody Allen, um, I, I think it was a little bit earlier than 2015, he had an affair with his stepdaughter. And Woody Allen, when he was being interviewed by Time magazine, the, the person doing the interview was grilling him in order to see if he would express some sort of regret. But he didn't. In fact, his answer for the reason of why he did what he did was this. The heart does what the heart wants to do. The heart does what the heart wants to do. If we cease to exist when we die then that is the way that we live. We live with the heart doing what the heart wants to do. And when we live that way, that's where it leads. Now that phrase, the heart does what the heart wants to do, I think is actually a common phrase, I think, in the generation, in this generation. But I don't know if a lot of people realize that that is the same reason that he gave for this horrid act that happened. The heart does what the heart wants to do. And if it, if extinction or ceasing to exist, is true about the afterlife, then we should all be living the same way. These things don't matter. Laws don't matter. There's no sense of right, and there's no sense of wrong. Now, as humans, we are created with this, deep down, with this need to understand why. This is why I think ceasing to exist is not true. Now, if you have a child or have had a child that is under four years old, you also know this very well. My daughter right now, she is turning four this week, and her favorite question to ask is why? We wake up in the morning. Let's eat breakfast. Why do we need to eat breakfast? Well, because you're hungry. We need to have food. Why do we need to have food? Um, because... You need that to live. Why do we need that to live? Well, God created you that way. Why did God create you that way? I don't know. Why? Because. Why? Because. She has why about everything. And you give an answer. And then there's another why. And then you give an answer. And then there's another why. And as humans, we that's natural for us. We want to know why. There is a reason to live. This is why I would suggest to you that ceasing to exist in the afterlife 
That is not true. Not only is it not biblical, but innate in humans, that is not true. And you can look at an innocent three, two, three, four year old to prove that to you. You want to live for something. You want to pursue something. You want a reason for your existence. Right. So those are three things that I would say. This is not the kingdom of God. Right now, what is the kingdom of God? Three things that the kingdom of God is. If we know it's not floating on clouds, if we know it's not this ethereal reality that compromises or that makes up the people of God or not only that. And if we know it's not extinction, then what is the kingdom of God? Well, first, the kingdom of God is about restoration. Acts three, verse 19. Says this, and I think this, yes, Acts three, 19 says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. So in this sermon that was given in the book of Acts, it says that repent, that times of refreshing may come today until the restoration of all things. The kingdom of God is about the restoration of all things. God created us as humans out of a desire. He created us out of a desire, out of love. He did not create us because he had to. He did not create us because he wanted some great experiment. But God created us because he loved us. And this restoration of all things that happens in the future kingdom of God after Jesus returns, is a restoration back to what happened and what existed in Eden, in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, it says that God was walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. I don't even have a grid for that, right? God created Adam, he created Eve. They were in the garden, they were naked and unashamed, which is another very noteworthy point. There was no sin, but then not only that, there was a point where God walked in the cool of the day with them. Genesis 3, read it. He was near to them because he wanted to be with them. God's intention for creation was that type of closeness, that type of intimacy with us as humans. So the restoration of all things, what the kingdom of God is about is a future restoration where God will make all things right and return us to the Eden. Just as the verse that I read, hope deferred makes the heart sick, longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Where else do we find the tree of life? It is in the garden of Eden. That tree of life is when this tension that we are in today, when it's fulfilled, it's restoration. We're brought back into the garden where the tree of life is there and we feel that intimacy with God, that nearness with God. The second thing that the kingdom of God is, it's the fullness of glory. The kingdom of God is the fullness of glory. Colossians 1, verse 27, a very familiar verse to us says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm sure you have heard that verse before. I love this verse. And a lot of times we talk about the mystery, which is Christ in us, which that is a mystery as well. 
And that is a beautiful reality that Christ dwells in us. But that's only partial. What Paul is saying is that Christ dwelling in us is about the hope of a future glory. It's not Christ dwelling in us in and of itself. Jesus didn't come, die, raise again so that today Christ can dwell in us only. He did do it for that reason, but not just that reason. Okay, that's very real that that happened and that today we have the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit. But the reason that that is happening and the reason he lives in us is to point for forward to a future glory. To our our hope, our hope is not just in Jesus's death and Jesus's resurrection, which leads us to our third point about the kingdom of God, the completion of our salvation. First Corinthians 15 says this. Now, if Christ, verse 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed, I think this is on the screen. Yes. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Of all people most to be pitied. Now, when we talk about the gospel, obviously, this is very important. We emphasize the death. We emphasize many times also the, the incarnation. We emphasize the way that Jesus died for our sins. And this is very true. But Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying something a little bit offensive if you think about it. He's saying, if you are only saying you're saved because of his blood and because he died, then you're still in your sins. As powerful as atonement is, is not enough. Because he rose. And that is the completion of your salvation. And not only did he rise, but that resurrection was the beginning and the first fruits of our resurrection. So where we talked about earlier, the kingdom of God and our future is not turning into angels. If you read the full, uh, all of 1 Corinthians 15, which we don't have time to do this morning, you'll see Paul is saying, we will also be raised. We're not going to transform into angels. When Jesus returns, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. What does that mean? What is he talking about? This is where he's describing the nature of the kingdom of God. That after we die, yes, we are with Christ, but when he returns with his kingdom to restore all things for the glory of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, then in that day we are also raised and we are with him in that glory together. This is how Paul describes the kingdom of God. Are you guys with me this morning? Amen. A little bit extensive explanation. Now, not only do we need to know what the kingdom is, but we need to know why we are pursuing this kingdom. And that's where we're going to go now. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, now that we know what we're pursuing, Jesus gives us a few reasons that I'm going to cover briefly about why we should be pursuing this kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks 
interestingly enough, about rewards that we can receive if we embrace certain lifestyles. We can receive rewards, and that's something we don't talk about a lot. Usually when we present the gospel to someone, we, our invitation is about eternal life, and that is the end of it. Hey, we can receive eternal life. That's what Jesus has given you. But Jesus also talks about treasures. Jesus talks about an inheritance. It seems to indicate that there's more than just eternal life. Eternal life is the uh, climax, right? That is the peak. That's the best of the best, right? But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about the culture of the kingdom and the value system of the kingdom, and when he's urging his followers to live righteously, he's saying, don't just strive and strive and strive in legalism to live this way. But there may be things that can motivate you to live this way. A few examples of this. First, he talks about an inheritance. And I'm just going to go through these. We don't have them on the screen, but I'll give you the references if you want. Matthew 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, if you are poor in spirit, yes, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. But then moreover, if you're poor in spirit, you will also inherit the kingdom of heaven. He also says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So not only if you accept me and believe in me will you be saved, but if you're meek, you actually inherit the earth. He also says in verse 10 of Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you are persecuted, if you face persecution because of your faith, because of godliness, you receive the kingdom of heaven. So there's an inheritance. He's saying, don't just try to not give in when you're persecuted. But remember, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, don't just not be proud for the sake of not being proud, but be meek because you can inherit the earth. These are future realities that are in the kingdom of God. But then he also says that there are rewards that we see in Matthew 6, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's not so he's saying don't just give because you're told to give. But there's actually a reward. If you give in secret, your father will reward you. Again, he says in verse 17 of Matthew 6, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, Jesus is saying there is a reward. And then in verse 19, which is close to the passage about seeking first the kingdom, he says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where... Thieves break and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. There are treasures in heaven. Now, this idea of rewards, in my opinion, I don't think that Jesus is saying, I don't think it's all about this present life, right? I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't think Jesus is saying, give and I will give to you. I think that is true. I think to an extent God does bless us. But our motivation for giving is not to give so that God gives us a lot today. I think there is a greater eternal understanding of this passage. When we give, we are actually, this is the process of laying up treasures in heaven. 
us giving in secret the reward that we receive is treasures in heaven. Or when we fast, we're not going out into the public square showing, I'm so frail. I'm so, I don't know if you've ever fasted, but fasting is miserable, okay? And when you don't just go out and you say, oh, it's so miserable. I'm so hungry. Steve, give me some chili today at 4 p.m. No, we don't, we don't do that. He's saying fast in secret and your father will reward you. I think that these rewards that Jesus is talking about are mostly Eternal rewards, eternal rewards that come with the kingdom of God. Now, that is probably a a little bit new, newer of an idea for us. Mostly we think, well, we get saved and that's it. The end. But Jesus does clearly indicate there are rewards. There are treasures. There are things that to be had. And the reason for this is because when we are able to see the kingdom of God, And we are motivated by the kingdom of God, the future kingdom of God, right? Not this ethereal, who knows reality. When we're motivated by the future kingdom of God, then we're not living this stale, legalistic religion. Jesus said, do this, don't do this. Okay, I will strive and work and try to do this. But we're actually motivated by something and someone who is glorious. And that someone has our salvation and is ready to complete that salvation, right? It's not just saying yes to Jesus and being sanctified, but it is being glorified and transformed and then ultimately being resurrected and being with him. You will be resurrected. This body that you have is broken. What Paul says is perishable, but the mortality will take on immortality. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Your mortal body will take on immortality. You are not going to become an angel. Hopefully we'll still get harps. That would be cool. But either way, you will have a resurrected body and you will rule and you will reign with him. Now, back to the verse in Proverbs. It says, with lack of vision, my people perish. With lack of vision, people perish. Or with lack of prophetic vision, People cast off restraint. What I have found to be true is the more that I've researched, the more that I've prayed, the more that I've meditated on the kingdom of God, I have found that it's so much easier to be a Christian (laughs) because I can see there's something so glorious that's coming. And it's so much better than what I'm looking at today. And it's so much better than trying to work hard to not sin and not do this because it's about an eternal glory. And with that vision, we are able to flourish. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. There are eternal rewards that are coming for you and you will flourish today if you choose to be meek instead of proud. You will flourish today. If you choose to be humble, you will flourish today if you choose to give. Not because he's going to give you a lot. No, you'll flourish today because you know where you're going. And there's a release that happens in your soul. Because your hope is found in that kingdom. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? If It's verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. You're to be pitied more than all men. If your hope is only in Jesus' death, pity on you. 
That's not enough, Paul says. Your hope is in the fact that he raised, he, he was risen from the dead, which now your hope is secured. Because you will also raise, be risen from the dead. You will experience that resurrection and you will dwell in the kingdom of God in its fullness. As we close this morning, I want to read a passage. And Toby, you can come up here if you'd like. I want to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 11. This is a passage that we're probably all familiar with. We call it the Hall of Faith. We love reading it and being inspired by Abraham, by Sarah, by Moses, by all these people who lived great lives of faith. But there's a few things that I started to notice. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read a few verses for you. And they won't be on the screen, so you can write it down or, or just listen as I read it. And there's a few things I notice that are significant about Abraham, about these leaders that we look at and we say, the Hall of Faith, right? We're, we're looking at this chapter to try and think, okay, how can I also have faith like they had? What did they do that was different? Was it just that they obeyed? Was it this? Was it that? What was motivating them? And as I read this, I think that some of these things will start to come to light. So I'm, I'm going to read this just briefly. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then in verse 10, it says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham did all these things, and then he says the reason is because he was looking forward to a city who, who, whose designer and builder was God. And then in verse 13, it says this, These all died in faith, referring to Abraham, Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham was seeking a homeland. He knew that what he had on the earth was not his home. He was a stranger. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, I read that because when we read Hebrews 11, I am very inspired. We all are very inspired, I think, by their faith. But what the verses I just read indicate what led them to have such faith. There was something in the future that they were seeking. And the same is true for us. I want to strengthen my faith in this time of tension, as Steve called it last week. In a time of tension where the kingdom of God is here, where we can experience some of God's presence and manifestations of the spirit, but also where it's not here. And because it's not here, we can doubt. Because God's kingdom is not fully here, we can be like John and send our disciples to Jesus and wonder, wait, we can ask the question, are you really him? 
And in that place, Abraham probably experienced that too when he's trying to sacrifice his only son. In that place, Abraham looked forward to a kingdom, to a city whose builder and maker was God. He didn't look forward to ceasing to exist. He didn't look forward to becoming an angel. He didn't look forward to some ethereal reality, but no, he looked forward to a city, to a homeland, to the kingdom of God. And that led Abraham to have the faith that he had. And today, I I think that our understanding of the kingdom, as we begin to dwell on it, as we begin to meditate it, we will meditate on it. We will find that our life in the same way and our faith in the same way will be transformed and will be strengthened. There are so many things that we can't understand. I recognize that. But from what we can understand in the Bible, when we dwell on these things, we start to realize that we are embracing the value system of the kingdom that Jesus laid out in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are embracing the culture of the kingdom. This morning... We're going to have some time to pray and to worship as we close. And I realize that this may be new material, uh, new information. It's a little bit more theological probably. But I want to encourage us to pray and ask the Lord for understanding. To ask the Lord to open our eyes to see this. And as we ask that, let's take note about how it can change our lives about how we see it affecting our desires when we dwell on those things. Let's pray this morning. Ministry.